Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hur. Today is Monday, November 18th, and we are recapping week 12 of the ACC. Pretty uh, pretty powerful week if you're a Virginia Tech Hokies fan. Uh, an absolute dominant performance against the uh, Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, a couple of other teams are going bowling, and uh, things are starting to really shake out and uh, take form. But the ACC Coastal still has a few questions to be answered. But first off, Tim, what's going on? I got a Diet Cherry Limeade from Sonic sitting to my right. Uh, coming off a, a really cold football game at NC State. And uh, I'm ready to talk football, man. I'm excited. But I noticed that you don't sound like you're feeling too hot. I got to tell you, a diet cherry limeade from Sonic mm. is probably top three best drinks of all time. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's diet. I realize that. But you can almost you can't taste it after what whatever wizardry they throw into this thing. Um, but, yeah, dude, it's easily, easily top three. Um you know, especially because they got that nice ice in there. It's in the nice foam cup, so it doesn't get warm. Uh, you know, you got hours to finish the thing, which is good because it comes in a bucket-sized drinking vessel. Um, but it, it's a good time. It's a good time. I was sitting uh, with my wife, and she really wanted to, to get some ice cream. She's, uh, you know, seven months pregnant. So, um, you know, when she, she wants ice cream, I always encourage that. That makes her happy. So we <laughs> headed over to Sonic. She got ice cream. I got a diet cherry limeade, and uh, yeah, dude, it's been treating me well. Yeah, no, that sounds good. I've, uh, you know, I'm not a big tea drinker, uh, but you know, as you said, there's been a uh, bunch of viruses running around my household for the last week. First, it was my daughter, and now uh, my wife and I are dealing with the brunt of it. Yep. So since uh, since Thursday, I gotta tell you, I've had probably. 50 cups of tea Oof. and uh, I'm not a tea drinker that's probably more tea than I've ever consumed in my life and uh, I can tell you like after I you know get past this little thing I'm probably still not going to be a tea drinker I just <laughs> what's wrong with tea hot just, tea's I don't great. know it's it's kind of like a, a, a bunch of warm nothing yeah that's kind of how yeah. I feel about it it's it's very just it it tastes mostly like hot water yeah, I mean, there is that. Tea is cer- certainly subtle. Like, are you mixing it up, or are you just throwing, like, oh, yeah. a bag of Lipton in there and calling it a day? Or- no, yeah, mix mixing it up and okay. you know, dropping in some honey and stuff like that. Yeah, a little citrus green not, tea. Uh, yeah, a little green tea, a little black cherry, which Ooh. has been, yeah. you know, that's been the go-to. Sure. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if I'm doing the tea thing wrong, but... Yeah, I mean, just not a huge fan. Just. Well, just think about all those antioxidants your body is getting when you're drinking that tea. It's a, you know, it's a tonic for your soul, man. You should embrace that. Uh, you know, get you a little sleepy time tea. Get a little tired. Get you a little chamomile blend going before, uh, you know, before you head to bed. Uh, you know, tea, tea's got a, it's a wide and dark rabbit hole that you can go down when it comes to tea. Uh, but I'm a pretty big fan. I don't drink near as much as I probably should. Um, but it's always good. Every time I drink it, I'm like, you know, why don't I do this more often? Yeah. Yeah, the doctor, you know, I went to the doctor recently. Congratulations, me. <laughs> um, and he told me to drink more tea. And I was like, yeah, okay. Wait, weird he advice, said that? But yeah, he's like, yeah, you want to be sure to get that tea in. It's got a lot of antioxidants and, oh. you know, it's pretty good for you. I was like, all Dude. right. Uh, probably not going to happen unless I have to, but, you know, thanks for the advice. Well, hey, the fact that your doctor mentioned those antioxidants makes me feel a little better because I was kind of saying that tongue in cheek, but 
Um, no. Good to know that the medical community is is onto tea now, which is great. Yeah, green tea specifically, good for the yeah. metabolism. Amen. You know what else is good for your metabolism, Tim? Uh, I think I know where you're going with this. Is it good for your metabolism to see a hokey win and shutout? Absolutely. That's exactly where I was going with it. A, uh, you know, I was, I don't even know really what to say about this game other than it was just fantastic all the way around. Yeah. Uh, you had Virginia Tech kind of going down to Atlanta with, uh, you know, it, there is a lot on the line. Going down, I mean, there's a lot on the line in every game that they're playing for the rest of the year because they're all conference games. Um, and I think, you know, revisionist history had everybody, you know, a little bit of panic. You know, oh, it's, it's are we going to be able to get past this? Are they going to show up? How are they going to perform? And uh, they went down there and took care of business pretty much right away. And my favorite part about it was they just kept the pedal to the metal. They never slowed down. Oh, yeah. They looked good oh, the yeah. entire game. And uh, it was probably one of the best all-around performances on both sides of the ball that I've seen out of Virginia Tech in the last decade, I'd say. Oh, no question. And it was one of those wins. You hate to overreact against a team that's 2-7, and seven, but Georgia Tech had been looking better. Um, you know, look at the stat line they put up on UVA, who's a team that is similar in stature right now in ranking to Virginia Tech. Um and see how they fared against them. It, it felt like we rewound the clock uh, in the way that we were playing. We just looked so good on defense. So many playmakers flying around the football. Georgia Tech clearly rattled the entire time. The playmaking, the ability to get the ball into the playmakers' hands. Uh, Keyshawn King looking good. Tavion Robinson just looking awesome. Uh, that reverse kind of busted the game open uh, in the beginning, and and it little. Double jet sweep yeah. reverse. A, yeah. a little razzle-dazzle. You know, it never hurts. But Tavion, again, a guy that all year has looked like he was on the verge of, of really exploding. Um, you know, if we're going to go far in this season and continue to hit some highs, we're going to need some explosiveness out of him. We got that. But it was just the way in which we won this game that was so reassuring. Um, you know, it's hard to put into words what this win matters, especially considering the demons that Fuente had to exercise to go down to Atlanta and get that win. Um, the relief on his face after the game, uh, he looked relaxed. He looked calm. The whole team looked like they were having a lot of fun. Pit that against the Duke game and where we came from those depths, it's hard to believe where we are right now. I I still can't believe it. Yeah, you know, I I think I I just looked at this game as another hurdle uh, to get to where they needed to go. And uh, to me, it shows that this team is not, you know, a team that we've seen in the last few years. It's a team that is definitely uh, showing that they're a much more mature football team. They're mentally tough and uh, they're dominant right now on, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So this is, uh, again, you mentioned it. Georgia tech is two and eight, you know, they're not very good. They only have one win against the power five opponent, Miami. Um, They lost the Citadel. They're obviously rebuilding from the triple option. Um, that being said, they still have a lot of playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. They were absolutely shut down yeah. on Saturday. And, and make note that uh, you know I don't have the exact statistic in front of me, but it was something like that was the first time they were shut out in 220-plus games of football, Georgia Tech. First so. time they were shut out since 1997. 
and the first time they've been shut out at home at Bobby Dodd in 62 years. Yeah, that's not that is no small feat. Shutouts, especially in this day and age, with offenses as explosive as they are, um, they don't come around often. So make no mistake, this was a huge game from that Virginia Tech defense. And specifically, I don't know how you feel or what you took away from that defense, but I just wanted to shout out Shamari Connor. The guy's making plays on the edge. His open field tackling is amazing. Um, you know, and, and he really set the tone for me on defense. He didn't really pop other than those, I think he had seven or eight tackles. Um, but man, he made some big, big plays on that edge. Yeah, you know, he he's a guy who had been kind of missing uh the last couple of weeks to be honest yeah. and he did kind of pop uh he did kind of pop yesterday the the one thing that that stood out to me is how good this team has been against defending the run yeah and so georgia tech they were held to under 100 yards rushing i think they finished with 53 the only other team to do that this year and again i said georgia tech has very good skill position players they've got big offensive linemen or they've got athletic offensive linemen. I shouldn't True. say they're yeah. overly big. And they've got a bunch of skill position guys at the wide receiver and running back position. You know, remember, triple option. They were built to run the football. Yeah. Virginia Tech and Pitt, only two teams to hold Georgia Tech to under 100 yards rushing on the year. And the only two teams, or the only team to hold them to under three yards per play. And Virginia Tech held them to 1.7 yards per play, I think. Yeah. Impressive. So it was just an absolutely dominant performance, and to be honest, it would have looked even worse in the box score than it did had it not been for uh, Jordan Yates uh, on that last drive is when they got a bunch of you know garbage yards, and they still only had around 100 total yards for the game. So uh, pretty dominant. You know, on the other side of the ball, Virginia Tech 238 yards rushing, and that's now the fourth time in five weeks that they've had over 200 yards on the ground. Yeah, and you know, second straight week where they've had at least four rushing touchdowns. So I here we it. are. You know, we're five starts into the Hinden Hooker era. They're five and zero oh in those starts. They're five and one after Duke with the one point loss to Notre Dame. They're now seven and three on the year. What does that mean? Oh, that means they're going to their twenty seventh consecutive bowl game, and they just cracked the AP top twenty five. So. This was a team that before the Duke game or after the Duke game, I can't remember, they were considered to be one of the uh, five worst teams in the FBS. Now they're in the top 25 of the AP. If you want to talk about a turnaround, you have to look at Virginia Tech as being the biggest turnaround story possibly of this entire football season of any college football program that's out there. Now that being said, that's right now. Yeah. You still got two more weeks. Two really big games that you need to go and take care of business. The number next to the team name means absolutely nothing. You don't no. care. No. It, mean, it, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be in the college football playoff. All you need to do is go out there, take care of business, go 1-0 this week, go 1-0 the week after. Don't worry about who you're playing the week after. And, you know, I, I feel like the game with Pitt next week, that's going to be the game that's most difficult for this team yeah i mean the, could, the the most difficult opponent i should say of the two right and we'll talk about it next you know in the next few days when we do our preview for next week but that pits a good matchup uh for pit uh you know it, we're gonna have trouble uh, they have the potential to really slow down the running attack which has been such a catalyst 
for the Hokies. So we'll see how that shakes out. But it's so surprising to me that we're sitting here talking about this running game being as effective as it has been, scoring these points, really just shredding teams and opening up the offense completely. You'd look at the last two years, that was our one of our main sources of frustration was the lack of ability to get anything going on the ground. And here we are. Now we fear we feel so far removed from that. And, you know, the running attack is what makes our offense so special. Um, you know, it's that running attack that led to, you know, the huge play, uh, you know, that huge pass to uh, Kashawn King out of the backfield uh, in the late in the third quarter against Georgia Tech. Um, and it continues to open up the passing game for Hendon. Um, it's just it, it's what an improvement, you know, and whether or not that credit goes to Jerry Kill, whether or not that credit goes to Brad Cornelson himself, you know, as much flack as I have given him uh, for issues that I've seen this year. Uh, the scheme turnaround, the ability to make these runs happen, uh, is just continues to blow my mind. Yeah, Jerry Kill made uh, quite a few clips on the sideline there. He's very fiery, uh, very emotional, and uh, that's good to see. So I, I can imagine that's uh, that's kind of what he's like in practice as well, getting these guys ready to go and just more intense, which is what I think uh, Fuente kind of alluded to yeah. in his press conference on Monday. Yeah. Um, you know, one one thing, you know, you mentioned there is the rushing game, and clearly Virginia Tech has, has turned the corner. You know, Andy Bitter had a great stat um, in one of his uh, stories on The Athletic. He said, in the last six games, the Hokies have rushed for 1,193 yards and 14 touchdowns. Jeez. While allowing only 483 yards and two touchdowns. That's awesome. So, rushing dominance on both sides of the football. And, again, if you can run the ball on offense, more than likely you're a team that's going to have a, a chance to win at the end of the game. Right. And if you are stopping the run on defense, more than likely you're going to have a chance to win at the end of the game. Right. So they've got it working on both sides of the football. Again, this is over the last six games. We're not right. just focusing on Georgia Tech. You know, it's easy to get excited about a 45 nothing win, you know, 35th shutout of Bud Foster's career. The defense as a whole looked phenomenal. They had four sacks, four more tackles for losses, two interceptions, four pass blocks, plus a defensive touchdown with Caleb Harley on the interception return. Yes. And they held Georgia Tech to two of 15 on third downs. Yep. Georgia Tech had three first downs through the first three quarters. Their <laughs> longest play was 17 yards the entire game. Yeah. And so you, you say all these things um... – we talked about identity in the beginning of the year. We talked about identity last year, needing to find an identity. So now we're sitting here, and we're in a highly effective rushing team that is stifling opposing offenses. Did we need a new identity, or did we just need to go back to the old Hokie identity of running the football and playing damn good defense? Well, yeah. I mean, the defense has, has been the key over the last year and a half. It has. Uh, because that's been, you know, the MO of Virginia Tech football over the years is dominant defense, and, you know, they can get by with the offense. And what we were seeing is bad play on both sides of the ball. You know, offensively, we've said from the beginning that, you know, this this is an offense offensive system that's built for, you know, a quarterback that it's a dual threat. Um, and that's why Ryan Wills was such kind of an odd fit. Even like guys like Josh Jackson and Gerard Evans, you know, they they weren't like run first quarterbacks, but they were guys that, you know, could 
could do something with their legs. Not saying that Ryan Willis couldn't. Ryan Willis's biggest issue was turnovers. Yeah. Um, so Hendon Hooker brings you the dual threat, and he takes care of the football for the most part. Yeah, and, and the arm's kind of underrated, man. I mean, he's he's able to make some really good throws. And, and more than that, what I'm excited of from a Hendon standpoint, the guy seems to be a leader on the field. Um, and, and from what we can read about him off the field from his saga – uh, you know, this offseason with the transfer portal and his uh, stick-to-itiveness and, and not running from a fight here at Virginia Tech, the guy seems like a really good leader, and the team seems to respond to him. So, uh, you know, we, we are just finding ourselves in a great place on many spots with this team. And as you said, it's it's hard to not look at the ba- you know the past six games and just be so smitten compared to where we were. But it gets real, and it's going to get real when Pitt comes in, when UVA comes in. Because those two games determine whether or not we're going to look back at the season as a a slight failure or a resounding success, in my opinion. And I hate to be so reactionary, um, but if you lose those two games, you're going to kind of lose you know, sight of what made this season so great. Um, you win both of those games, and this season is one of the best in recent memory. Yeah, you know, you definitely... If you lose the next two, it's going to definitely put a damper on what's been done. You know, you go one and one, you know, you can kind of understand it. Um, the The only acceptable loss in those two games that I see is against Pitt. Uh, I just think with the way UVA is playing right now, um, you know, I'm I'm not. I know they're going to be motivated. I just don't see how they're going to, to take down. Virginia Tech as long as Virginia Tech stays intact after next week so um, I think Pitt will be an interesting challenge you know I think it's going to be a uh, fairly low scoring game like dominated by both defenses with the way the Virginia Tech defense is playing right now you know I'd I'd say they're in the top three of the ACC right now and you got Clemson Pitt and Virginia Tech those are the top three defenses in the league right now as far as how they're playing right now um and so I think people kind of lose sight of that a little bit. You know, you want to look back on the beginning of the season and say UVA's defense is dominant. UVA's defense has been pretty bad, um, especially with the number of injuries they've had in the secondary. So, right. you know, that stuff will work itself out over the course of the next two weeks. We'll obviously talk about that in our next episode. But Hinden Hooker continues to just let the game come to him. I think that's the biggest thing with watching Hinden Hooker play quarterback. For sure. Is, you know, he, he was only 9 of 13. He only threw the ball 13 times. At 159 yards and a touchdown. You know, the one thing that he does really well is he holds on to that football for as long as possible on the screen passes. Yes. And it really opens up the entire field. And why that is, is, you know, I think the defense is having to keep their eye on him, make sure that he's not going to take off. And then what happens is a, a running back or receiver or whatever pops out of the corner, he hits them, and then boom, they've got wide open field to run. Uh, they do that really well with him. Um, the other thing they're doing really well, Tim, is it's really hard for an opposing team to pinpoint who they need to stop in this offense. And what I mean by that, Virginia Tech had well over 200 yards on the ground, 238, I believe. They had seven guys rush for 25 yards or more, but nobody over 50. So there's so many different guys touching the football. And whether that be on a jet sweep, whether that be on a carry out of the backfield, whether that be on an option play, 
there's so many guys and so many playmakers on this offense that can hurt you that it's very hard for the defense to hone in on one guy. You know, it's it's been proven that, you know, McLeese is the is the starting running back, but you know, we're starting to see Kashawn King kind of work his way back into that mix a little bit. Um, you know, I still think the both of them combined only had maybe 14 carries combined yesterday. Right. So, it's just it's it's an offense where they're getting a lot of rushing yards without a bell cow running back, which we haven't seen out of a Fuente offense since he's been here, but we're really starting to see it this year. The other thing that's happened is, you know, as far as receivers getting attention, it's very difficult to figure out who's going to get the ball. Damon Hazleton didn't have a catch yesterday. I'd say he's their best receiver overall. Yeah, I agree. You know, Trey Turner made a couple of big plays. James Mitchell popped four catches, 90 yards, and a touchdown. Yep. Dalton Keat had one catch. So, I mean, there's all these guys to to be in the mix. Defenses have to pick and choose what they're going to do, who they're going to focus on. And, uh, you know, with Hooker running things, it's uh, it's very difficult for an opposing team to, to play against. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're just... Uh... It, we're performing so well, and you know you, you still get those nerves before every game. But it's a completely different feeling watching this Hokie team play now. Um, you know the, the identity is there that we've been looking for. Players are settling in. The coaching staff seems to be relaxing. Um, you know it, it's a beautiful, beautiful feeling. And I think you know it was just great to see that shutout yesterday. And, and you know with Bud Foster, what he's meant to this team, what he's meant to our program. Uh, and what he's meant to that community, it's it's so great to see him get a shutout in his final season, regardless of who it's against. So all the good things keep rolling in, and, you know, we're happy to sit here and continue to root on this team. And, you know, hopefully these good times don't stop rolling as of right now. Um, you know, things are feeling pretty good. Yeah, so one other thing I wanted to call out here. So James Graham, he was pulled in the fourth, uh, finished 7 for 14, 43 yards and two picks. Did you notice that he was crying on the sidelines? I did. I did. I don't feel like I've seen that before. Um, understand it's an emotional game, but he had to kind of figure that, you know, there was reason that he was pulled in that situation. But, you know, I did think Jordan Yates, again, nephew of TJ Yates from North Carolina, if anybody remembers him, you probably do. <laughs> uh, he came in, provided a little spark. Um but just couldn't get anything going. I thought there was a chance they might get uh, a few points there on that last drive, but uh, the Hokies' defense won out. Uh, big game for them. Uh, tough, uh, tough loss for Georgia Tech. Obviously, to lose forty-five nothing at home uh, is is not going to be an easy one to get over. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, Virginia Tech right now is is playing on a different level than most of the teams in the ACC. Uh, Pitt is also playing at a pretty high level. That's going to be a pretty exciting matchup next week. Yeah. Uh, and Tim, before we jump over to Pitt, UNC, anything else you want to say about this one? Yeah, uh, Dax Hollifield continues to make a case to be moved out to cornerback. So you know, I hope that continues as well. Dax with a with another pick that looked exactly like the last pick he had. Yeah, he's got the uh, the punt return interception down. Yeah, he totally. Yeah, he's does. mastered that that thing. He has. So. So, you know, good for him. Uh, Dax, again, continuing to play well, and that's one of those things in the beginning of the season that we were hoping would get changed, uh, and we are making progress there. So congrats, Dax, on pick number two. Uh, so jumping back to Thursday night, 
Pitt holds off North Carolina 34-27 in overtime. So this was a good game for the most part. Uh, We thought it would be. Pitt almost let it get away, which we've seen them do earlier in the season uh, against Duke, for example. Um, And they were up 24-10 in the fourth quarter. So they, it felt like they had this game locked in with that defense. You know, there was no chance of uh, North Carolina coming back, but Cardiac Sam was doing Cardiac Sam things. And, you know, he threw touchdowns within 88 seconds of each other, uh, got the game tied up in the fourth. The team traded field goals, but Noah Ruggles hit the field goal with 13 seconds left to force the overtime. And then, uh, you know, Pickett rushed it in for Pitt. The Pitt D won out, and... Uh, the Tar Heels lost in overtime once again. Their second overtime loss this season. Pitt broke their six-game losing streak against North Carolina. Kenny Pickett had a big day, 25 for 41 through the air, 359 in the touchdown. He uh, had completed passes to of at least 25 yards to five different receivers. And uh, the guy who really popped for me, Shockey Jacques-Louis, really <laughs> I just wanted to say his name. Absolutely. He had a big day, uh, four catches, 104 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the one big play was 74 yards, and uh, you know I thought this was hilarious because if you were watching the game uh, early, I think it was probably the second quarter, Amir Watts had the most blatantly obvious targeting call that you would ever see in your entire <laughs> life, <laughs> and they the somehow least. overturned it and said it wasn't targeting. Yeah. I mean, the guy was laying on his back, and he came running across the screen and hit him in the helmet with his helmet. Right. How is that not targeting? I don't know. You know, I feel like you see those those tweets so many times to say, you know, I don't even know what targeting is anymore with, you know, either a video or a GIF attached. This was one of those where it's, it's I, I really don't know what targeting is because by definition, by the spirit of the rule, by every account that's targeting and for it to have been waived, I wish there was yeah. some sort of explanation they would have to provide on that one as to why they... Uh, they didn't keep the targeting on the board because yeah, it was it, it was just, a clear case. It just made no sense. And then then later in the game, you know, their safety, Demar Hamlin, was called for targeting. It was upheld. So Narduzzi had this to say after the game: "We got two good wins today. Beat everybody on the field today. We had a couple of victories out there today. One against UNC, and we'll leave it at that." <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> this guy, man. Oh, I mean. Pat. There's there's a very famous clip of Pat Narduzzi um, after a Virginia Tech game a couple years ago, uh, complaining about all of the blatant, um, you know, pass interference calls and roughing the passer calls and whatever calls that were going against Pitt that were blatantly obvious and you know, um, to anybody except for Pat Narduzzi. I don't know if this guy just his rage just blinds blinds him, like over the course of a game. But you know, I just don't know what game he was watching. I didn't feel that there was any bad officiating one way or the other um but yeah especially with that targeting call on watts that was overturned i felt like you know he needed to kind of chime down after this one yeah you play it cool after a a call like that goes in your favor Uh, but you know that's not pat's way uh keeping it low-key and playing it cool or not in his deck of cards uh so sam howell he finished 27 to 43 322 three touchdowns did have a pick um daz newsome again Daz Newsome, big day, 11 for 170. Uh, you know, it's it's tough because you watch this North Carolina team, this offense, it's very good offense. Obviously, they're struggling defensively. Um, 
you know, if you had told me they scored 24 points, I would have thought they had a pretty good chance to win, and they did have a good chance to win. They got the game to overtime, but or 27 points, I think, is what they finished with. But, right. you know, Howe was sacked five times. Um, you know, Jalen Twyman got another sack, who that guy's an absolute man-child. Reminds <laughs> me a lot of uh, Aaron Donald. Yes, he does. Uh, that's going to be a big key for the Hokies next week is to stop that guy. Um, but, again, just another tough loss for North Carolina. They continue to show life, uh, but they just have a hard time kind of winning these close games. And, I mean, it's like yes and no because every game they're in is close. So yeah. uh, it's tough to say. They're 4-6. and six. They've got Mercer next week, NC State. So there's still a good shot of making a bowl there. Um, I'd put money on, yeah, they will make a bowl right now. Uh, just with the way NC State's playing, but yeah. Pitt is now seven and three, four and two in conference, headed to Blacksburg next weekend. Uh, huge coastal standings. For those wondering what happens uh, in a, let's say Pitt wins the game. If Pitt wins, Virginia Tech would have to beat UVA and hope Pitt loses to Boston College. Right. That's how Virginia Tech gets in. But you know, is what it is. Virginia Tech, all they have to do is win out makes it real easy for everybody to figure out yep destiny's in our hands and uh that's the best place he can be at the moment so handle business and get it done uh you know i i want to jump ahead and start talking about that game so bad but you know we'll leave it for the next episode but um big game coming up in lane stadium uh wake forest at clemson so clemson was a 34 and a half point favorite uh we thought that was a little uh a little high but they covered as they typically do uh, and it was senior day in Death Valley. Uh, so their seniors, that was their 52nd win. And they now have a combined record of 52-3 and three since their time of enrolling. Goodness. That also happened to be the score. 52-3. to three. Look at that. So Clemson's uh, kind of FU tour continues. It's been a cuff, tough uh, couple of weeks for Wake Forest, who came in as the nation's 13th ranked offense. They managed only 105 yards of total offense in the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just brutal. Jamie Newman, 6 for 14. Uh, Wake Forest could not get anything going in that game. Could get nothing going, nothing on the ground either. Trevor Lawrence, an efficient 21 for 27, 272 and four touchdowns. ETN at 16 for 121 in the score. And the Clemson D at two sacks, but they had 10 tackles for a loss. And if you watched any of the game, they were just constantly in the backfield wreaking havoc. And, uh, yeah, there was just nothing really for Wake to do offensively. Um, yeah, tough break for Wake. I mean, not going to say I'm uh, totally surprised by this outcome. I thought they'd do a little bit more than three points. Um, but Clemson is uh, they are playing at a very high level right now. So, um you know, Wake Forest has the chance to right the ship over the next two weeks. You know, Clemson is, uh, you know, just prepping basically for the ACC championship and uh, then most likely the college football playoff. But, you know, don't have much else to say about that one. No, I mean, I think Trevor Lawrence was buoyed by the fact that his uh, lookalike was in attendance. The young lady who's got Internet fame for looking just like Trevor Lawrence was there. Uh, you know, they got to take a picture pregame, and it's a true doppelganger situation. Uh, you know, so that obviously buoyed Trevor's performance. T. Higgins, again, just wow. Um, playmakers on playmakers on playmakers for Clemson. You know, you hate to see it for Wake Forest. It's tough for them, as great as they had started this season. Um, you know, they, they've been brought down to earth a little bit, uh, you know, since they were flying so high. And 
you know, Jamie Newman, again, can't figure it out. And uh, Death Valley's uh, name continues to ring true as we move forward in the season. Louisville 34, NC State 20. Cardinals are now bowl eligible. Huge step forward for this program under year one of Satterfield. Um, So I'll ask you, Tim. You were there. Yeah. They announced attendance of 54,000 for this game. (laughs) What? No way. Uh, It looked very, very empty. I would say 18,000, and that may be too generous. I I was going to say, you know, 15 or under was my guess. And I mean, I I was flipping back and forth. And by the time I flipped it on in the second half, I was like, oh, my, there is nobody at this football game. Yeah. So I've been going to Carter Finley, um, you know, since I was four or five years old. Uh, Grew up with a dad with season tickets. So we didn't really miss a game. This was as close to empty as I've ever seen it. Uh, Granted, weather-wise, it was one of the more miserable games I've also ever been to. It was bone-chillingly cold. The wind was whipping. Um, you know, and when the team hasn't played well all, all year, was it was pretty expected. Um, but yeah, that stadium, the vibe in that stadium is very, very, very angry. Um, I heard many calls for Dave Doran's job in the stands, and I don't ever recall hearing that during the O'Kane years or the O'Brien years. Um, definitely not during the Amato years. It's just strange. It's a strange feeling in that stadium. And it was, you know, really unfortunate for NC State because they played probably their best half of football since ACC play started. Um, You know, going into the halftime locker room with the lead, it felt like NC State was in control and was going to have a shot in this game. And then the wheels fell apart coming out of halftime. Keon Lassane with, uh, you know, continue to having uh, fumble problems. Uh, The team just can't seem to do anything right when it's necessary. Defensive schemes just continue to blow up left and right. Players don't know where to be. Wide receivers matched up with linebackers. You know, 2-2 Atwell in a specific scenario led to a touchdown um, where there was a scheming issue, and he ended up being guarded by Brock Miller, um, which is an uh, inside linebacker for NC State. So not the matchup you want with the ACC's fastest wide receiver. And, and issues like that continue to plague Dave Doran this year, and it's so strange and so out of character from what we've come uh, to be used to from Dave, uh, but this team just looks poorly, poorly coached. Uh, and you know, when you don't have a quarterback to make up for that talent gap, um, it's tough. It's tough. And NC State just, you know, ran into a Louisville team that outlasted them yet again. NC State struggles continue. Again, like I understand uh, that NC State's having some struggles, but. I think a lot of times you're you're dealing with players right now that shouldn't even be on the field because of injury issues. Sure, sure. And so I think that is probably more the reason that it looks like this team is so poorly coached. I really don't think it is a coaching issue from a, from a top-down standpoint. Now, there might be positional coaches here and there that aren't doing a fantastic job, but Dave Dorn as a whole has proven over the years that he is a good football coach. Yeah. I think he knows what he's doing. Yeah. I just think NC State, from a personnel standpoint, is so just depleted right now. Yeah. 
that no matter what they try to do on the field, it's just not going to work like they draw it up. Yeah, and I, I halfway agree. I disagree in the fact that I think there is a lot of poor coaching happening. I don't lob that at Dave Dorn's shoulders. What I will say, though, is that Dave Dorn is the one that's responsible for making sure the right coaches are in the right positions. Right now, it's hard to really judge the offense because there's no quarterback on that team. Um, but defensively, NC State's had issues for a year covering the pass. And Huxtable, for whatever reason, has escaped all sorts of accountability when it comes to that. Um, you know, I think we are at the end of Huxtable's rope. There is poor coaching on that defensive side of the football. And this isn't a revelation for anyone who's followed NC State or anyone who continues to follow them. If you've watched NC State football, you know that NC State has been just torn up through the air for three straight years. Um, you know, limiting teams on the ground is fine all you want, as long as you're also kind of throttling them through the air. But if you let them run rampant and unchecked through the air, uh, no amount of stifling the run can make up for that. So going into the offseason, you know, Dorn, there's no chance in my mind that he's fired. Uh, you can't fire a guy that won back-to-back nine-win seasons at NC State. They're not that level of program. Um, but what he can do is he can make wholesale changes on that defensive staff, and they are badly, badly needed in my mind. The other frustrating thing is the co-offensive coordinators thing. It's hard to judge them, but it hasn't looked like it's really uh, hit on much at all. And, and that's going to be frustrating because I don't think you're going to run into a scenario where you would pl- replace both offensive coordinators and a defensive coordinator. So shopping list, you know, Item number one for me personally, and I imagine Dave is going to do this, is going to be finding a new defensive coordinator in the offseason. Yeah, so we'll see there. Um, Again, for Louisville, bowl eligible, Mikhail Cunningham, you know, four touchdowns through the air, 2-2 out well, big day, five catches, 110 and a touchdown. Uh, Even the kicker, Ryan Chalifu, got in on it. He threw a touchdown pass. He did. A little fake field goal action. So. uh that had to be tough. <laughs> tough Let me to tell see. you, I, I looked over at my dad. Um, that's when we, that's when we walked out of the stadium. He had <laughs> he had seen enough, and so it was one of those scenarios where he, I turned to my dad and I said, "They're not kicking here. It just doesn't make sense." Uh, you know, and, and so necessary. You know, that's what you say. You say, "Watch for the fake." As soon as you line those two things up in your head, you imagine the team's going to line up in a field goal safe zone type situation where they drop. Plenty of people back into zone coverage and let no one behind them. Well, what did they do, Justin? Yep. They let someone behind them. And my dad, it was like a hand grenade went off in his head. And and he just, <laughs> in a fury of rage, he said, well, that's it. We're out of here. And stormed out of the stadium. <laughs> yeah. Yep, we're leaving. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for, for Papa Hearth, uh, I hope that, you know, NC State can get this thing straightened out. Because it certainly takes a toll on the fan base that's had enough disappointment. Um, but, you know, there was a lot to play for for NC State. There was a scenario in which they ended up uh, winning that. They could have looked at potentially getting into a bowl game with a win over a big rival. Um, and now UNC becomes their Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens from here on out. But uh, not fun times with football in Raleigh. Uh, they got one more game in between, don't they? They do. They have played so- Georgia Tech. Okay, Georgia Tech. So they got Georgia Tech, North Carolina. So, I mean, there's a chance they go to a bowl. I just, you know, like I said, they're not playing good football right now. Yeah. Uh, two teams that also are not playing good football. This game, um, just the absolute shock <laughs> of the day for me. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Syracuse pounds, dude. Pounded. 49 to 6. 
And if you want to talk about attendance, Tim, <laughs> I saw a photo on Twitter. Yeah. Sparse, man. It looked like maybe 200 people were in the stands. Yeah. And I'm not exaggerating. No. I, I like saw pictures it, as well. And Wallace Wade is small to begin with. It was unreal. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen that stadium full. No. Uh, but this this was taking it to a different level. Uh, what also took it to a different level is, you know, what happened on the football field. This was the Orange's first win against the Power 5 opponent this year. First in the ACC. So good for them. Bad for Duke. Duke looks... I don't. I can't figure out Duke. Okay? So Duke, obviously, we've got the whole after Duke thing going on at Virginia Tech. But if you look at Duke in the month of September, Duke looked like they were going to be a pretty solid football team. Sure. They were playing well. So since the jump man pass game against North Carolina, that they lost on the goal line, okay? Could have easily won it. They could have easily beat Pitt, a game in which they came back and won. They're being competitive. Since the North Carolina loss, they've lost their last two games by a combined 87 to 13. Mm. Syracuse has the worst offensive line in college football. One sack. On DeVito yesterday. Oh, man. I mean, it How's just it feels like a team that's kind of quit a little bit. And I mean, Quentin Harris just hasn't been very efficient. You know, they're just not doing much on either side of the football right now. And I mean, Tommy DeVito, he was 6 of 15 yesterday. 105 yards. He had two touchdowns. Rush for another. The ground game is what ate Duke up. They right. had over 280 yards on the ground. Mo Neal had a nice day. You know, Andre Sisco had an interception return for a touchdown. It's just like 49 to six, Duke. Seriously, yeah. against Syracuse. Yeah, it was a twilight zone game, especially because when you play Syracuse, you expect the ground game to be the reason that they win. Let alone the manner in which they won. You know, everybody's favorite coach cuts not looking too great right now. And I got to tell you, it could be a scenario where the team quit because if I was in the game against my biggest rival and the coaching staff called in a jump pass <laughs> in the scenario in which they did, I would have been like my father in that NC State game. It would have taken it all out of me. So yeah. I don't know what's going on there, but that's strange. You know, even I like to, you know, to take digs at Coach Cut every now and then because I don't think he's as good as everybody thinks he is or says that he is for whatever reason. That seems to be a myth that's perpetrated. Um, but this is bad. This is real bad. Uh, you know, for a Duke team, you, you know, that he's been the head of for as long as he's been to have a year like this just seems extremely, extremely weird, especially given where they were in the beginning of the season. Um, you know, they, they played well one against Bama at the end of September. Yeah. They have one win since Georgia All Tech. the wheels fell off. I don't get one it. Win. So I you know it. I don't I don't understand it. Uh, they're going to finish four and eight because they're not going to beat Wake Forest and they're not going to beat Miami. So they're going to go four and eight. They're going to lose their last seven games, and they're going to go one and eight after September ended. Mm. If they lose their next two, you know I and again like Duke didn't have like super high expectations coming into the season. No, but. You know, with the way that they played against Alabama where they kind of hung in there for a little bit, 
in that first half, the first two quarters. Um, you're like, okay, you know, maybe they can do something. You know, North Carolina A&T, Middle Tennessee, you know, beat the wheels off Virginia Tech. You know, you're looking at Duke saying, okay, you know, maybe they're going to be better than we think. Nope. No, they're an absolute train wreck right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, just could not believe that outcome. Um, I mean, if you're going to lose to Syracuse, fine. 49-6 to lose. I mean, that, that to me signals a bigger problem. I agree. Uh, Florida State, 49-12 to over Alabama State. Not much to say here. They do clinch a bowl berth. James Blackman, three passing touchdowns. Jordan Travis got some action as well. He went three for seven for 71 yards. Also had 69 yards rushing on four carries. And uh, they have a bye and then travel to Florida to close out the year. That's going to be a tough one. Maybe Odell Haggins can uh, keep his perfect coaching head coaching record intact. Uh, but right now, 4-0 um, over the last couple of seasons as interim. Um, but yeah, Florida State will be uh, going bowling this holiday season. Yeah, and you know, like you said, Odell continues to look swell down in Tallahassee. So that is our show for today. Tim, any uh, any last words before we wrap this up? No, you know, no, no real last words other than, you know, it just feels good to be watching football, and it's a shame. It feels like the season just started, and we're already kind of heading toward winding down. So, um, you know, I'm really happy where that is. Not happy that football season continues to come and go at the snap of my fingers, which is always strange. But, you know, good results in the field. Ho- hopefully they continue to roll. The ACC picture starting to look a little more clear, um, you know. Everything lining up as usual, but yeah, we'll, we'll head into next week with uh, tampered but decent expectations on where that game will go for the Hokies, and you know, for the rest of the conference on the other side, Clemson will continue to roll and do what they do. Yeah, so that's our show for this week. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. Uh, you can listen to our podcast anywhere where you can find a podcast. Just type our name into Google, Chowder and Grits, and you will find us go to chowderandgrits.com uh twitter chowder and grits facebook chowder and grits tim why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us you can leave us reviews share our content with your friends uh let them know you listen to the best acc football podcast around especially your Hokies fans because that is our wheelhouse after all um yeah just continue to interact with us on twitter and do what you guys do from a uh you know community outreach standpoint it's fun interacting with you guys and um yeah, we also got to get on that uh, Thanksgiving food power rankings that Heath had mentioned uh, a week or two ago on Twitter. Yeah. I need to, uh, that's something I have a very high level of expertise in. Yeah, you know, maybe that's uh, maybe that's what we do on Wednesday. Maybe that's a Wednesday little power ranking right there. Sure. Yeah, I think we need to because we need to make sure we get that out while people still have time to go shop. Because I imagine some of the things that I mentioned, maybe some pro tips on cooking, sourcing foods, what you want to do for your Thanksgiving is going to be something that's going to inspire people to head out to their local Harris Teeter, Publix, Kroger, whatever situation you guys have. So, uh, yeah, let's let's put that uh, in pencil for next week. Yeah, outstanding. But, uh, you know, for this week, that's all we've got. Thanks for listening, and we will see you guys later. <laughs>